0: Tampa, True Talk is a pre recorded show.
1: Welcome to True Talk. on am WMNF 88.5 with Ahmed and Samar. In today's program, we're going to be speaking about uh, am- Amnesty International's new report. They came out with an um, explosive report about the Israeli occupation of Palestine, calling Israel an apartheid state and uh, carrying out apartheid policies uh, to subjugate the Palestinian people. And calling for change, uh, that and more. We'll also have one of the, um, contributors to the report on the program, uh, later. So this is True Talk on WMNF 88, 88.5. We'll be right back. To True Talk on WMNF eighty eight point five. Um, this is uh, True Talk. Uh, if you're new to the program, it's a global affairs show. Been on WMNF actually for I don't know sixteen seventeen, maybe eighteen years. Uh, Samara and I have been hosting this, but it's been on Fridays, so we're new to Thursday. And um, it's a show that covers global affairs, especially uh, within the Middle East and the Muslim world. It's not a religious show, but Uh, as the United States continues to have uh, policies that impact that region or things that are happening in that part of the world that impact the United States uh, foreign policy. Um, That's uh, this show that we focus on. We also focus on um, uh, Arab and Muslim Americans, South Asian Americans um, in the diaspora that are here Um, in the United States, issues that impact them, issues of Islamophobia, etc. On today's program, we're speaking about Amnesty International's new report that just came out on February 1st. Um, The report is about Israel uh, and its occupation of Palestine, and this is from their news release uh, from Amnesty International, um, saying the headline, Israel's apartheid against Palestinians. Uh, a cruel system of domination and a crime against humanity. The report or the, um, uh, the executive summary goes on to say, Israeli authorities must be held accountable for committing the crime of apartheid against Palestinians. Amnesty International said today in a damning new report. The investigation details how Israel enforces a system of oppression and domination against the Palestinian people wherever... It has control over their rights. This includes Palestinians living in Israel and the occupied Palestinian territories, as well as displaced refugees in other countries. The comprehensive report titled Israel's Apartheid Against Palestinians, colon, cruel system of domination and crime against humanity sets out how massive seizures of Palestinian land and property, unlawful killings, forcible transfer, drastic movement restrictions, and the denial of nationality and citizenship to Palestinians are all components of a system which amounts to apartheid under international law. The system is maintained by violations which Amnesty International found to constitute apartheid as a crime against humanity as defined by the Rome Statute and Apartheid Convention. This uh, news release goes on to say that Amnesty International is calling on the International Criminal Court to consider the crime of apartheid in its current investigation in the occupied Palestinian territories and calls on all states to exercise universal jurisdiction to bring perpetrators of apartheid crimes to justice. This is what Amnesty Re- uh, International uh, released on February 1st. And uh, this actually uh, comes, this is, I think, guess, the third major international, I mean, you know, global human rights organization in the past year or two that have come out to say basically the same thing, including Human Rights Watch, that um, I think their report is about a year or two ago. And we also covered that on this program. But this is uh, the first major comprehensive report to come out on this and you know specifically in great detail calling on uh Israel's apartheid state. I actually have a um, Amnesty International did a short program about this uh video which I'll play now and then when we come back we'll be speaking to a representative from Amnesty International to discuss this uh, further and also maybe if we have time also take your phone calls. Uh, okay, well, to do that, I guess I have to confirm my age. YouTube is saying I've got to confirm my age in order to play there this tape uh, or this uh, record about Israel's apartheid against Palestinians, Someone, something that everyone, I guess, uh, should be aware of. Here it goes.
2: When you hear the word apartheid, what do you think of? Probably the disturbing images of racial segregation between whites and blacks in South Africa, where a regime ruled by a racist white minority declared themselves officially superior to the black majority, then proceeded to dominate them. South Africa's apartheid system officially ended in the mid-1990s, but that doesn't mean apartheid can't happen elsewhere. Here, in Israel and the occupied Palestinian territories, Palestinians are being forced off their land and out of their homes separated and segregated by laws, walls, and checkpoints. They live in a constant state of fear and insecurity, and deliberately impoverished. While, on the other hand, Israeli authorities have given the Jewish-Israeli population privilege over Palestinians in just about every facet of life. The question is, does this all amount to the crime of apartheid? First, the definition of apartheid. The crime against humanity of apartheid is perpetrated when particular serious human rights violations are committed with the purpose of establishing and maintaining a system of domination by one racial group over another and systematically oppressing them. But does this system exist in Israel
3: and the occupied Palestinian territories? And There's been a growing debate about whether the situation in Israel and the occupied Palestinian territories is apartheid. And now is the time for us As the world's largest human rights organization to offer up our analysis our findings and criticism are directed not at the jewish people but at the israeli state it's the israeli state that put in place the policies that implement the laws and the practices that oppress palestinians well Israeli leaders have been clear about their
2: intentions from the beginning. In 1948, just before he became the first Prime Minister of Israel, Ben-Gurion visited Lifta and other Palestinian areas near Jerusalem that were completely emptied of Palestinian residents following attacks by Jewish forces. He stated, there are no Arabs, 100% Jews. If we persist, it is quite possible that in the next six or eight months, there will be considerable changes in the country, very considerable, and to our advantage. More than 70 years later, then-Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu posted on Instagram that Israel is not a state of all its citizens, but rather the nation-state of the Jewish people and only them. So, it's no surprise that Israel built a system of racially discriminatory laws, policies and practices that privilege only Jewish people. And Palestinians, well, Palestinians lived there too. They were there before Israel was established. But, as we will explain, they've been trapped for decades in a system that treats them as a lesser, non-Jewish racial group. Before Israel was established in 1948, Palestinians comprised most of the population, around 70%, and owned the vast majority of private land, about 90%, in what was British Mandate Palestine. Jews, many of whom had emigrated from Europe, comprised around 30% of the population, and they, and Jewish institutions, owned about 6.5% of the land.
3: The port of Haifa in Palestine lies shattered by bombs and strewn with death.
2: In the course of establishing Israel as a Jewish state in 1948, Israeli authorities acted to turn the situation on its head and were responsible for the mass expulsion of Palestinians and the destruction of hundreds of villages, forcing around 800,000 Palestinians out of their homes and lands. Thousands of Palestinians and Jews were killed in the context of attacks on civilians during this conflict. Today there are around 6 million Palestinian refugees who Israel denies the right to return to their homes. After the 1967 war, Israel occupied the Palestinian territories of the West Bank, including East Jerusalem and Gaza. Israel's brutal military rule, coupled with the establishment and expansion of illegal Jewish settlements, has coerced Palestinians into enclaves creating further fragmentation and segregation. The objective? Maintain Jewish-Israeli hegemony and maximize control of land. In the city of Jerusalem, the Israeli official policy is to maintain at least a 60% Jewish majority. If you've always felt a deep yearning for Jerusalem, now is a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity not only to stand within its gates, but also to build the home of your dreams there. So where do all the Palestinians live now? 3.4 3.4 million live outside of Israel and the Occupied Territories, mainly in refugee camps in neighboring countries. 2.5 million Palestinians live in Israel, and East Jerusalem, restricted to enclaves that make up around 3% of the entire area. 3 million Palestinians live in the Occupied West Bank, but are only allowed to access 40% of the land to live and work. The rest of the area is for the Jewish Israeli settlers only. Two million are trapped in the Gaza Strip, one of the most densely populated areas in the world. Fragmentation of the Palestinian society and the dispossession of their lands are key pillars of Israel's apartheid system to maintain domination and control. But there's more. The unequal structure of nationality and status, restrictions on freedom of movement, use of military rule. Denial of right to political participation or the right to peaceful protest and cruel separation of families all add to the complex system that we see today.
3: The world in general hasn't woken up to the fact that there is an entrenched system of oppression against Palestinians across Israel and the occupied Palestinian territories, wherever they may live, by the Israeli state. It's a system that's been put in place maintained for decades and it's that system that is the root cause of so many of the violations the misery and the suffering that millions of palestinians face on a daily basis one
2: way to understand this segregation and oppression is to look at the id system Jewish Israelis have only one ID card with a status that grants them the rights to live almost anywhere they wish in the country. They can move freely with access to health care and vast resources. Palestinians, on the other hand, have four types of ID cards, if any at all. The kind of ID card you are given determines the level of rights you can enjoy and controls where you can go and what you can do. If you hold a green card, you are subject to military rule. And If you have a green card with a Gaza address, it means you're trapped in a 365-kilometer square open-air prison under Israeli military blockade in place since 2007. Israel controls what goes in and what goes out, from children's toys to medical supplies. 90% of the people have no access to safe drinking water, 47% are unemployed, 56% live in poverty. Palestinians with a Gaza ID are forbidden from going to Jerusalem in the West Bank, even if they have family there. Some people in the West Bank are considered to live there illegally and can be deported immediately to Gaza if found by the army, even if they have been in the West Bank for decades. Whereas, if you hold a green card which has a West Bank address, then you live here. This green card means you can live within specific enclaves surrounded by illegal Israeli settlements. And there's a separation wall and fences built around you since 2002, which Palestinians call the Apartheid Wall. It's eight metres high in places and 700 kilometres long. That's twice the height of the Berlin Wall and more than four times its length. Eighty percent of it is built inside the West Bank, occupying even more Palestinian land. There are separate roads for Israelis and Palestinians. Hundreds of checkpoints scattered throughout, Not to mention the 54 years of occupation which has devastated the lives of millions of Palestinians. Palestinians with a West Bank ID can travel to Gaza or East Jerusalem, but only if they receive a permit from the military to do so. This blue ID is for Palestinians in East Jerusalem. They can travel to the occupied West Bank as well as to Israel, but they are not citizens of Israel. They have only been granted a residency status. This means that they cannot vote in Israeli national elections and if they leave East Jerusalem for too long, for example, to study or work abroad or in other parts of the occupied West Bank, their residency is revoked, so they can't return. Since 1967, Israel has revoked the residency status of more than 14,600 Palestinians from East Jerusalem. Finally, Palestinian citizens of Israel, they have been through it all. They are the group that remained in Israel despite the ethnic cleansing in 1948. They lived under Israeli military rule that applied only to them and not Jewish Israelis for 18 years, between 1948 and 1966. They were made citizens but can never become nationals and enjoy equality unless they become Jewish which the law prohibits. They are the only Palestinians who can run and vote in Israeli elections and they can move relatively freely. But the inequality against them was never dismantled and they face daily institutional discrimination, including as members of parliament. And if this complex ID system wasn't enough to segregate the Palestinian community, in 2002 Israel introduced a law that prohibits family unification That's right. Denying Palestinians the right to live with their loved ones if their ID cards are different. And this woman is one of thousands of Palestinians who Israel will not issue any ID card. She can't travel, can't hug her family, only see them meters away across the border. Putting down roots, the family home. These are crucial parts of what make a strong community. To make sure Palestinian communities can't develop any further, Israel has made it almost impossible to grant building permits for Palestinian homes. So, Palestinians live in a catch-22 situation. In order to have shelter, to develop their communities, they must build without a permit. And if they do so, Israel can demolish the structures on the basis that it was built without a permit. Right now, there are over 150,000 Palestinians currently living under the constant threat of demolition and forced eviction, many of them for the second or third time. In the West Bank, an average of 18 Palestinian structures were demolished every week in 2020. The same year, Israel issued 1,094 building permits for Jewish applicants and only one for a Palestinian. This goes back to the heart of the issue. To maintain the state's character as Jewish, Israel systematically disadvantages Palestinians while privileging Jewish Israelis. This racist privilege has been enshrined in laws, policies and practices, and it enables Palestinian resources to be taken in order to economically benefit Jewish Israeli
3: citizens. The system of apartheid is the Israeli state's oppression and domination of Palestinians on a daily basis. It's the the laws, the policies and the practices that it puts in place and then implements to control Palestinians' daily lives. And then there are the crimes of apartheid. The crimes of apartheid are those acts, those violations, those patterns of violations that Israel is committing to create and then maintain that system of apartheid.
2: Amnesty International and other rights organisations have been documenting patterns of human rights violations and international crimes for decades. These are the most visible and violent part of this system. At the end of May 2020, 4,236 Palestinians were held in Israeli prisons, with 352 including two children, were held without charge or trial. Between September 2000 and February 2017, Israeli forces killed 4,868 Palestinians in the occupied Palestinian territories, including 1,793 children outside the context of armed conflict. And Amnesty International is not aware of any case in which an Israeli soldier has been convicted of willfully causing the death of a Palestinian in the occupied territories since 1987. This imbalance of rights, justice and accountability is never more clear than when a Jewish Israeli life appears to have more value than a Palestinians. Israel's apartheid and its cruel and prolonged strategies deliberately disadvantage Palestinians wherever they live. They cannot claim and enjoy
3: equality with Jewish Israelis. Look, everyone can make a difference. Uh, Together, we need to speak out on behalf of Palestinians. We need... To speak about the human rights violations that they are suffering, we need to talk about the apartheid, the system of apartheid to which they are subjected. Because by campaigning together, putting pressure on the Israeli state, we could have this system of apartheid dismantled. Join us, join our campaign. Everyone has the power to make a difference.
1: That was the uh, Aminist. Amnesty International's video on their most recent report on uh, Palestine Israel's uh, Palestine reports is titled um, Israel here is, okay Israel's apartheid against Palestinians cruel system of domination and crimes against humanity uh, Amnesty International Secretary General Agnes Kalmart said, uh, quote, our report reveals the true extent of Israel's apartheid regime, whether they live in Gaza, East Jerusalem, and the rest of the West Bank, or Israel itself. Palestinians are treated as inferior, as an inferior racial group, and systematically deprived of their rights. We found that Israel's cruel policies of segregation, disposition, And exclusion across all territories under its control clearly amount to apartheid. The international community has an obligation to act. And now joining me is a representative from Amnesty International, Maan Hamad, who is a campaigner um, for the Israel Palestine Desk and part of Amnesty International's international office. Welcome to Truth Talk. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. So. Um, How long has Amnesty International been working on this report? Amnesty has been carrying out research uh, and
4: analysis for this report um, as early as 2017. Uh, The research itself was carried out from that point until uh, early on in 2021, uh, and, and wrapping up, the, the report and research sort of happened uh, organically as, as we headed towards launch just uh, on February 1st, earlier this week, as I'm sure many have seen uh, across headlines around
1: the world. So Amnesty is basically coming out and joining other human rights organizations um, in calling uh, Israel an apartheid state and carrying out apartheid actions. But... Um, you made, uh, the organization made sure to uh, point out that this accusation is not against Jewish people, it's not even against uh, the people necessarily of Israel, but rather the state. Was that an important distinction?
4: I think it is, and I mean, uh, as we're seeing today uh, online and elsewhere, how sort of false accusations can make their way around, it's important to remember that Amnesty focuses its research and campaigning on states and authorities who signed on to uh, numbers of declarations of international law and who have uh, third state responsibility according to international legal standards. So an important thing to highlight is our report touches on uh, apartheid as situated in international law and looks at the crime um, of apartheid and the system itself through the actions of the state. That means Israeli authorities and those working under the authorities, uh, nothing to do with uh, the Jewish people of Israel uh, or Jewish people elsewhere. Uh, An important thing to highlight, uh, especially uh, regarding these uh, false accusations of anti-Semitism is we at our core are an anti-racist organization. the the accusations themselves are antithetical to who we are and what we are and what we stand for as an organization. And I keep highlighting this to remind folks that critiquing the state of Israel and the authorities um, has very little to do with anti-Semitism and it actually is part and parcel to how we operate and work across across this globe by critiquing those actions of governments around the world. We do so with the Palestinian authorities, we do so with China, we do so with Iran, we do so with Israel.
1: I mean, Amnesty International is uh, well known around the world. And uh, in fact, there was kind of a, uh, at the State Department uh, press conference, uh, there was a question about Amnesty International's uh, report, um, this report on Israel. And the uh, spokesperson said that they don't agree with the report. And then there was a follow-up question saying, well, you usually agree with Amnesty on just about everything else when it comes to human rights or is there like some sort of Palestine, you know, or Israel uh, exception? Do you always find that there's this exception when it comes to uh, Israel and trying to call out or, you know, acknowledge or point out their um, apartheid regime? I mean, I
4: think the, the short answer is there seems to be, and I and I had seen that video, and I think the journalist pointed quite frankly that there seems to be a double standard when people wanna critique the state of Israel's human rights record. Uh, and, and like like that journalist had pointed out, the state departments and governments across the world use amnesty's findings and research. It's impartial and un and, and, and unprecedented research oftentimes to highlight the, the human rights concerns that favor them, correct? I think when it comes to Israel, especially in the US context, for some reason that's not the case. Um, when it come, you know, I mean, I think the biggest ruckus was before people even had the opportunity to read the report. It's 280 pages. It was already critiqued as unsubstantiated and uh, and and sort of false, uh, which is kind of mind boggling because I think it proves that those who critiqued and assumed uh, the allegations as such didn't even open up the front cover, let alone even read the back blurb to understand the research, the findings, the human rights documentation. Like I said, this is a four-year endeavor. Um, it's no joke for Amnesty to to spend four years on one single report. I think it is telling of the amount of due diligence that had to go into it. And I would recommend that not just the State Department, but members of Congress and people in the Biden administration uh, reflect on the report itself. Read the report, look at it, and understand the human rights language uh, situated inside of it to actually understand how and why our findings um, are are based in a legal analysis set out in facts and principles.
1: I mean, again, this is Amnesty is Not Alone in this Human Rights Watch and others have come out with similar reports. It's just mind boggling how long Congress and the administration, regardless, we're talking about this as the Biden administration, this is not Trump um that they continue to just um, ignore the realities and just fall back on these accusations of anti-Semitism. How is Amnesty International uh, dealing with? Because as you said, even before the report was released, you know the pro-Israeli side and the Israeli government themselves were trying to stop the report from being published uh, or you know demanding that it's not it does not get published, but then um, later dismissing it as some sort of anti-Semitism, uh, which again, you know, it's, seems very dishonest uh, for anyone that actually reads the report and, and looks at the findings. How is Amnesty dealing with these attacks and accusations?
4: Well, I, I do want to take your first point because I think it's really crucial. Uh, we're, we're not the first, and I promise we won't be the last organization to say that Israel is practicing the, a system of apartheid against Palestinians. Um Palestinians have been calling for the international community to recognize this system as such for decades. Israeli organizations have used this word, this framing, to talk about apartheid, for example, Beit Salem, a leading human rights organization, a leading Israeli human rights organization, has said that Israeli authorities are practicing this system across Israel and the occupied Palestinian territories. Uh, international human rights organizations like HRW, uh, as well as others have used this framing as well. So I think what what's really maybe the, the issue of concern that let's, let's say the opposition has to this is that there's consensus. There's international Israeli-Palestinian consensus that the crime against humanity of apartheid is taking place against Palestinians. I think what needs to be followed is that there needs to be a consensus that those with the power to do something, and I'm especially calling on third states, the International Criminal Court, uh, as, as some of you may know, is already sort of considering the crime of apartheid in its current ongoing investigation, uh, but Third states, and especially those with the power to do something, need to also appreciate that this consensus is not coming from a void. It's coming from decades of human rights documentation and voices on the ground saying the system being imposed on Palestinians amounts to the definition of apartheid as situated in international law. To your second point on on how we're dealing with these accusations, I mean, I gave the short answer is that I don't know how to deal with them other than saying that they're they're baseless and false accusations to stop people from engaging with the report and the research. And I would encourage those who want to continue to accuse to open up the page, open up that first page of the report, and then come back after reading 280 pages to understand where this documentation was coming from, to understand and appreciate that it has so absolutely nothing to do with anti-Semitism and everything
1: to do with human rights standards and policies. If you're just joining us, this is True Talk on WMNF. We're speaking with Man um, Hamad from Amnesty International. We're talking about their report that was released on February 1st, titled Israel's Apartheid Against Palestinians, A Cruel System of Domination and Crime Against uh, Humanity. Um, The comprehensive report sets out how massive seizures of Palestinian land, and property, unlawful killings, forcible transfer, drastic movement restrictions, and the denial of nationality and citizenship to Palestinians are all components of a system which amounts to apartheid under international law. That's from the uh, press release or from parts of the report. Let's take some of these uh, issues um, or items that uh, the report found or the amnesty found as um, you know clear signs of apartheid what? Are, how are? How is the Palestinian? How is the Israeli state seizing Palestinian land and property?
4: Um,
1: Massive seizures.
4: Well, yes. Well, our, our research sort of began looking at um, successive governments following the creation of the state of Israel, nineteen forty-eight, to look, understand, and and to analyze not only laws, but policies and practices that have been designed to oppress and dominate Palestinians. One of which that you've just pointed to is sort of dispossession of land and property. Um, and I think this is not new to many people, right? I think everybody sort of appreciates that the the Palestinian reality is one of being denied a home, being denied land, uh, having land uh, forcefully transferred, having homes unlawfully uh, or having people unlawfully removed from their homes and ev- and forcefully evicted, like um, the stories of residents in a Sheik Sharrah in May, who captivated the world. Uh, our report touches on this decades of discriminatory land and property seizures, uh, and highlighting how home demolitions and forced evictions are a crucial strategy to this system of apartheid. This this was a crucial strategy not only. Um, following uh, successive governments in the early days of the state, but as well as happening today. I mean, Palestinians in the Naqab, for example, inside of Israel proper, are facing ongoing uh, forced evictions. This is not happening in a void, and I, and I will repeat this, because apartheid is taking place as we speak. It's not something that's situated in a socio-historical lens that only is reminding of the the disgusting reality that South Africans faced. Uh, decades ago, but it is uh, highlighted in international law. And one of the strategies that we use to understand and analyze the system of apartheid was the dispossession of land and
1: property. When you say it's happening right now, and you said, you know, and for maybe some of our listeners are not familiar with um, the language, when you say uh, it's happening within Israel proper, what do you mean, um, you know, inside Israel proper or outside And how is it happening? How is it different within Israel uh, as opposed to outside Israel, um, which would be, I guess, uh, Palestinian land that's occupied by Israel?
4: Yeah, I mean, uh, for those who might not know the the technicalities, uh, so Israel, uh, the internationally recognized borders or uh, land of Israel is... uh, sort of separate from what is the occupied Palestinian territories according to sort of the international community. So most people, when you think of, of quote unquote, Palestine, people are thinking of uh, the occupied West Bank as well as the Gaza Strip. And this includes East Jerusalem, the annexed East Jerusalem. Uh, Israel proper is essentially the the less technical term is, you know, inside the green line, which, which is uh, – uh, sort of a, a separate domain that our that our report takes a look at. However, Palestinians live sort of throughout all of these domains. There's uh, 1.9 million Palestinians living inside of Israel proper. That's about 19% of the population. So they're a minority. However, those are the Palestinians that remained following 1948 when about 800,000 Palestinians were uh, uh removed from their homes and lands and villages, as well as 500 Palestinian villages were destroyed um, in between 1947 to 1949, which Palestinians refer to as the Nekbe, which translates to the catastrophe. Uh, That was the first sort of huge displacement of Palestinians that pushed them into what is now recognized as the occupied Palestinian territories as well as neighboring countries like Lebanon, Syria, and elsewhere. Okay. And and what I mean when I what I mean when I say apartheid is happening now, I think it's important to highlight because the international community understands Israel as being sort of a beacon of democracy. Right. However, our report is saying that Palestinians living inside of Israel proper, Palestinian citizens of Israel, are victim to this system of oppression and domination. Palestinian citizens of Israel, sixty-eight thousand of which in the Nakab, the Negev Desert in the south of Israel are at risk of losing their home. That means that Israeli authorities can come in and destroy their home because they, they it was built quote unquote without a permit um, due to discriminatory uh, laws and policies that uh, essentially uh, make it impossible for them to build and develop their communities. So uh, it's important to highlight Israel proper because I think many people around the world would assume that would never in a thousand years be the case, but decades of discriminatory uh, restrictions have have proven as such, and I think it's important to highlight that Palestinian citizens of Israel, Palestinian citizens of Israel exist as second class citizens, um, and it's important to highlight that as as uh, many across the world would would believe that Israel uh, is quote unquote this uh,
1: beacon of democracy in the Middle East. Right, surrounded by oppressive regimes. When we're, um, but then to be clear. Even the land that's outside the Israel proper, quote unquote, um, Palestinian land, that Palestinians are not free uh, in that in in their own land. It's also occupied by Israel in a different form of you know occupation. They control their land. Yes. It's not like Palestinians control any of their land uh, whatsoever. Well,
4: I mean, Palestinians living in the occupied Palestinian territories definitely. I think. Uh, they're living sort of under a brutal military rule, which is a, a, a much more devastating sort of reality I think that's that's the sort of picture that many people around the world sort of have as as a sort of standard you know it's the it's the checkpoints it's the wall mm-hmm. it's the military night raids that happens in the occupied Palestinian territories more often than we can say sort of uh, some of the different restrictions that happen inside of Israel proper but our report and our research, and I really actually am am pleading to people and encouraging them to read it, uh, talks about how this system is all interconnected. It's interconnected through these laws, policies, and practices that are designed to do the same thing, to oppress and dominate Palestinians wherever Israel has control over their rights. Um, and I do want to highlight this also means to the millions of Palestinian refugees who were removed from their homes and villages and their descendants following 1948, who for 73 years have been denied their inherent right to return.
1: I'm speaking to Ahmad Hamad of Amnesty International about their latest report, Israel's Apartheid Against Palestinians, a Cruel System of Domination and Crime Against Humanity, which, which was just released on February 1st. Um, one of the things that people may also be surprised about on the Palestinian land, the occupied Palestinian land, which would be like the West Bank and the Gaza, just in the West Bank, um, Palestinians, even though it's their own land, are only allowed to live or, or, you know, inhabit 40% of that land. 60% of their own land is reserved for Israeli illegal settlers. Like, it's not even their land, but they're living on the Palestinian land. So... Uh, Israel proper is not enough for them. They're actually creating these uh, settlements and colonies on the Palestinian side. And they're taking up 60% of that.
4: Um, yeah, how I, is that possible? The, well, well, it's impossible because, uh, unfortunately, we live in a reality where successive Israeli governments have been able to get away with everything with near impunity. Um and the, the encroaching and expanding settlement regime is one that has uh, tripled uh, over the recent decades, which I think is a friendly reminder that the, the human rights crisis that Palestinians have been facing uh, is, is not really a joke. It's, it's something that I think even following what many have deemed uh, you know uh, the post Oslo era as a, as a sort of state building practice, for example, has actually been one where human rights and pal- human rights for Palestinians have gotten much, much worse, and this is part and parcel due to the to the settlement regime that has been increasing not only in in size of um, uh, settlement homes in these illegal settlements, but as well as uh, the military rule and the arms of the military rule that protect Jewish Israelis in the settlements at the expense of Palestinians on their land. Um, this happens in occupied East Jerusalem, for example, like I said, in the, the community, in the neighborhood of Sheikh Sharah as well as Silwain. Uh When you walk in these neighborhoods, you are walking in a street where uh, Israeli settlers are protected by soldiers carrying guns, uh, where young students have to walk through valleys to avoid being harassed or beaten or hit by Israeli settlers. Um, this is Uh, increasingly on the rise as documented by many human rights organizations. And I would encourage you all to check those out, including Beit Salem, as well as Al-Haq, for example, who have documented the increase in settlement, um, the increase in settler violence against Palestinians in the occupied West Bank. Uh, And it is this this cruel and brutal military rule on Palestinians in the occupied Palestinian territories um, that I think ought to be highlighted as 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 a very core element to this system
1: of domination and oppression, can you describe this um, on Palestinian land in the occupied Palestinian land? These uh, special highways for Jews only—that only Jewish people with special license plates can drive through them. These are like you know super highways with no restrictions of movement, but they're running through. Uh, Palestine, Palestinian land, where Palestinians every mile have to go through checkpoints on their own land. The and it's all it's it's tied
4: once again to the to the settlement, uh, the growing settlement expansion. I mean, these highways, for example, are interconnected webs from the different settlement blocks into uh, inside of Israel proper. Uh, one one such road off the top of my head, for example, is, is near the a big Israeli settlement block called Ma'ale Adumim, where Palestinians have to sort of take a caveated route to avoid the, the highway, which in theory takes them to the exact same place where they have to drive um, half an hour to an hour out of the way just to not be on the same road that Jewish Israelis can be on. Uh, I would also highlight that it's not just roads, it's also even where you can walk. If you go into the old city of Hebron, also in Arabic known as Khalil, Mm -hmm. there's certain places where Palestinians can't even walk. For example, I'm a Palestinian-American. You would assume with my American ID and passport, I'm given privileges like any other American in this world, right? Because I'm Palestinian, when I go to that road, I'm turned away. And the answer by the soldier is, I'm not allowed because I'm Palestinian. It's 2022. Uh, this is, uh, you know, highlighting sort of uh, massive, uh, massively racial, massive, massive r- racist violence that might have happened, let's say, in uh, the U.S. South back in back in the day. However, it, this is not the case. I'm talking about in 2022, Palestinians are refused to walk on certain roads inside of cities that are theirs. Um, you have basically Jewish-only roads. Uh Jewish, I mean, it, it's for those who hold an Israeli citizenship, right? Yeah. Like So Palestinians, I think you have to understand, and if, if I'm correct, you you played some of the video that we had created. Right. Um, the ID system is also part and parcel to this system. I have a West Bank ID, which does not allow me to enter or access those for, for Jewish Israelis. Um, there's Palestinians who have different ID colors, which give them and essentially grant them a different variety of rights. Uh, you can think of it as sort of like a menu item of domination depending on your ID dictates how and where
1: and and if you can move now if uh, you're if you, if you have an israeli id if you're israeli national but you know arab uh descent or background is it the same as a israeli jewish id uh it, it would depend in terms of what, in terms of movement or uh, the movement or Canada. discrimination or opportunity to build or permits I mean is no, it, there's I mean, also bias in that even if you're an Arab Israeli, yeah, so like a,
4: a Palestinian citizen of Israel, for example, uh, you know we could argue has much more rights than a Palestinian living in the West Bank, right, okay. for example, they have much more access to freedom of movement they have a, you know, a national health insurance. However, they still are second class citizens. And I think there's no better proof than the 2018 law, the nation state law, which said the state of Israel is a state for the Jewish people and only the Jewish people. Uh, it explicitly mentions that in law, it's not, it's not sort of a, a, a blank, a blank statement. It's mm-hmm. a blanket statement inside of, uh, inside of a legal mechanism. Uh, Palestinians also inside of – so Palestinian citizens inside of Israel, for example, like I had said, those living in the Negev Desert are unable to get a permit to build a home while two to three kilometers next door in a Jewish-only community, they're given connection to water. They're given uh, uh, incentivized property to build um, sort of subsidized homes while Palestinians are disconnected from water services, disconnected from sewage systems, um, and disconnected from the ability to to, to prosper in their communities. Uh, this is also the case in the Galilee in the north, as well as other areas uh, outside of the south of Israel, where Palestinians are basically forced into different enclaves and cannot build or, or develop their uh, their communities.
1: I'm speaking to Man Hamad. He's uh, from Amnesty International. We're speaking about Israel's or uh, Amnesty's report uh, called Israel's Apartheid Against Palestinians, a cruel system of domination uh, and a crime against humanity. It was released February 1st. You can find it at amnesty.org. Your report actually opens with a quote from Benjamin Netanyahu, uh, where he says, quote, Israel is not a state for all its citizens, but rather the nation state of the Jewish people and only them. How is it that, you know, and this was in 2019, that, you know, how is it that in this day and age that a leader of a country would say something like that and then would be welcomed in Washington and in Congress and to give these, um, you know, uh, speeches to the joint session? It's just amazing. About this Israeli exception, that somehow um, because the situation they're in, or there's justifications. And your report goes into that, that there can never be justifications. So what are some of the things that they're using to justify this behavior? Because, again, Congress will say, well, you know, Israel's unsafe, or they have to protect themselves, or they have the right to protect themselves. Are they at some sort of threat that they have to do apartheid to protect themselves? How does your report look at that?
4: I don't think our report touches touches that head on but i can talk about sort of the you know i mean i mean israel is not the only state that the us gives sort of unconditional money and and, and arms and supplies to and i think it's important to highlight maybe that's where the conversation ought to start uh you know it happened with Egypt, uh, it happened with other governments around the world where money is given to support them sort of unconditionally. I would I actually, argue just,
1: I don't mean to cut you off, I would argue that the money going to Egypt is actually indirectly to benefit Israel because it was based on the Camp David agreement. It wasn't, that money wasn't coming before that peace agreement with Israel, but please continue.
4: Yeah, and I think... To highlight that the money going to Israel is, is is sort of unprecedented in the amount of you know the amount that actually goes. I mean, it's billions of dollars every year. Uh, part uh, a call and an integral call for our in our report and in our campaign is that uh, there needs to be a comprehensive arms embargo so that the violations that Israel is perpetrating against Palestinians cannot just continue to happen. Sort of with uh, accountability being so far removed from any sort of uh, reality. Uh, and states need to exercise their universal jurisdiction to bring perpetrators of this system to justice. The, the reason the U S sort of just allows uh, Israel a free pass. I mean, I don't have an answer to it, but I know that it's not acceptable. And I know having seen sort of the conversations that are happening in Congress and that are happening uh, within, you know, members of the Biden administration, which is a bit of a shocker, right? Like this is a democratic Mm -hmm. party. I, I had Maybe would have assumed as such uh, during Donald Trump's presidency, but uh, for the for the administration not even to want to engage in the findings of the report tells a tells a pretty big story of just how much they're willing to let Israel get away with uh, just about everything.
1: Meanwhile, how is the Palestinian civil society responding, and Palestinians responding to this brutal? Apartheid and occupation. I mean, it's impacting their lives on a daily basis. It seems so oppressive and unjust. How are they responding? Is violence on the rise? Are they not using violence? How are they responding to what's happening to them? Well,
4: you know, I, the only way I can explain what the the reality is for Palestinians living here is that you know, it's a it's a human rights crisis. They are stuck on one side under uh, a, a cruel and dominating system of apartheid, while on the other side, the Palestinian authorities, both the the Palestinian Authority in Ramallah as well as the de facto authority, uh, Hamas in the, in the Gaza Strip, um, shred away at any sort of uh, internal human rights within those enclaves. So, for example. Um, you know, as as many of you might have heard over the summer, there was a killing of a prominent Palestinian uh, activist named Nizar Benat by Palestinian security forces. Um, and, and I mentioned this only to highlight that when we're looking at what the reality is for Palestinians, they're stuck between a rock and a hard place between two authorities that basically could care less about what their human rights uh, are set out to look like. And instead are just deliberately uh, sort of treated um, and marginalized and impoverished in a a state of constant fear and insecurity. Uh, Highlighting that, you know, Israel's system of apartheid is is the biggest block of this. I mean, the root cause of violations and suffering of Palestinians uh, is is part and parcel to to this system. And... Uh, you know, everybody sort of uh, when they talk about Israel-Palestine, they bring up the whether it's this one-state or, or two-state framework. Uh, we don't have a policy on 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 what any sort of state-building process. Should.
0: This is WMNF Tampa. Stay tuned for NPR News.